0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Brad Coneman, and as you would have heard from what's been said earlier... I am leaving staff soon, and we, on behalf of Catherine and I, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to the dozens and dozens of people that have reached out to us, sending in messages of love and support. Um, we love this community, and we're so grateful that you're behind us and praying for us and with us in this huge life transition that's coming up. This is my last sermon in this season. Um, Matt was just having his hand on my, my shoulder saying, oh, this is the last one, and um, Yeah, it's been such a great privilege to serve and minister here. And I can't wait to bring this word today as we finish our series on generosity. And today we're looking at the biblical principle of stewardship. Now, in our household, we've got three little kids. And it's not unusual that the kids will fight over their toys. You know, we'll walk into the lounge room and they'll be pulling back and forwards It's mine! It's mine! Give it back to me! You can't play with it. It's mine. I think for many of us, we carry this same attitude towards our money and our possessions into adulthood. We might not have those tantrums in the lounge room, pulling back and forth over over our toys, but we can certainly carry the same attitude. It's mine. Hands off. I worked for it. I paid for it. It's got my name on it. It belongs to me. Today we're looking at what I think is perhaps the most revolutionary and countercultural principle in the Bible when it comes to financial management, and that is the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship is this that it is not yours. It is his. It's not yours, it's his. And I believe that if we embrace this principle of stewardship, It will revolutionise how we approach our money, it will release our generosity, and God will use us to bring His blessing to the world. And what I'm going to do today is actually something a little bit different. At at Anchor, we love preaching from the Bible, and normally what we'll do is we'll have a set text, we'll work through the passage of Scripture, we'll work out what God's saying to us and receive that. And today we are going to be looking at the Bible to lay out some principles of stewardship, but for the most of the message today, I'm going to be taking a more biographical approach. We're going to be learning lessons from the life of John Wesley, who's someone that I think exemplifies a life of stewardship and generosity. So we're going to begin looking at what is stewardship, some, some, a few brief principles from the Bible, and then lessons from the life of John Wesley. So will you pray with me before we begin? Let's pray. Father... This morning I ask that you would give us open minds, open hearts, and open hands. Open minds to receive what you want to speak to us, open hearts that we'd be willing to change, and open hands that your blessings might through us, might flow through us to bless others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So what is stewardship? Well, let's ask the question first, what is a steward? It's not really a term that we use on the street in the inner west, a steward. A steward is someone who manages the resources of others. And there's many contemporary examples of this. You know, we get Sarah, the lovely Sarah Donovan, to babysit our kids. And when Sarah babysits our kids, she's acting as a steward. She's looking after something that doesn't belong to her, caring for it on our behalf. She's exercising stewardship by caring for our children when they don't belong to her. A manager exercises stewardship in an office. The business doesn't belong to them, the office, the property, the people don't belong to them, but they're stewarding the resources, the people, the business, on behalf of their employer. A financial advisor is a steward, looking after the financial investments and assets of their clients. It doesn't belong to them, but they're stewarding the resources. This principle of, so a steward is someone who manages the resources of others. The principle of stewardship really goes right back to the beginning, where God creates a very good world and puts humanity in the garden as stewards to lovingly care for and cultivate his world. And I think there's two really important principles from that the opening chapters of Genesis, where God creates the world, that undergird and provide the foundation for our understanding of stewardship. And the first principle is this. God made everything, and so everything belongs to Him. God made everything, and so everything belongs to Him. It's not yours, it's His. Because God made everything, everything in all the world bears the stamp of his creativity and ownership. It's kind of like in the movie's Toy Story. You you remember Buzz Lightyear and Woody? What's on the sole of their shoe? Andy is stamped on the sole of their shoe, because who do they belong to? They're Andy's toys. You're just a toy, Buzz Lightyear. You're just a toy. But he belongs to Andy. And so humanity is stamped with the image of God and all of creation bears the the mark of his creativity and ownership. Throughout the story of Scripture, this idea of God's ownership is repeated over and over again. In the New Testament, the New Testament writers will repeatedly say, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You belong to God. I am not my own. I don't live for myself anymore, but for him who loves me and dies for me. Your life is not your own, it belongs to Him because God made everything, everything belongs to Him. The reading that James wrote out for us is one of the parables that Jesus tells of stewardship and he describes the kingdom of God as being like a master who goes on a long journey and entrusts his wealth to his servants to look after. As people in God's kingdom, we are under the authority of a master, entrusted with his resources to steward for his purposes. Whatever you have, whatever we have has been entrusted to us by God and we are accountable to him for how we use his resources. And that means that your money is not yours, it's his. Your time it's not yours. It's his. Your sexuality, how you use your body. It's not yours. It's his. Your career. It's not yours. It's his. Your home. It's not yours. It's his. God made everything. Everything belongs to him. Did you notice how that parable ended in Matthew chapter 25? While two of the, stu- of the servants were commended for their faithful stewardship, well done, good and faithful service, come and enjoy the wealth of your master. The final one was rebuked because of his laziness and we're reminded that we are accountable to our master for how we use his resources. So that's the first principle, God made everything, everything belongs to Him. The second principle is this, from Genesis 1, as stewards, we are given responsibility of looking after God's creation and bringing His blessing to the world. God sets humanity in the garden with a purpose to look after the world that He's made and to multiply His blessings to the ends of the earth. And this promise of blessing echoes throughout the story of Scripture, as God promises to bless Abraham, and through Abraham's descendants, to bless the whole world, as He sets His people Israel in the world to be a light to the nations, that His glory will go to the ends of the earth. And this vision of multiplying blessing to the ends of the earth is fulfilled in Jesus, who brings God's blessing, and it now is extending that to the world through us, through His church. And so what this means is that God's purposes shape how we use His resources. And so what purposes does God have that will shape how we steward our money and our resources? Well, it means that our finances are not primarily about us building our own kingdoms, about us building our own wealth, but our finances are given to us, entrusted to us by God to bring His blessing to the world. Yes, God is concerned about providing for us. In the garden, He provided good food for the people to eat. He provides us with daily bread, enough for our needs, enough for our housing and clothing and food and bills and to pay our taxes and even enough for us to enjoy. But His overarching vision for our finances is that we might take our part in His mission to bring His blessing to the whole world. These are some of the principles of financial stewardship that we see in Scripture. That God made everything, it belongs to Him. Whatever we have has been entrusted to us by God to use for His purposes of blessing the world. And one of the best examples that I've found of someone that exemplifies this life of stewardship and generosity is John Wesley. And so we're going to use the rest of our time today looking at lessons that we can learn from history from John Wesley. John Wesley was a a really famous 18th century preacher and pastor who established the Methodist movement. He was born in 1703 as, get this, the 15th child to Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Susanna went on to have 19 children. Um, talking about church planting through birth. It's, um, that's the way. Callan. are you ready to double the team? Um, whew, 19 kids. Sadly, nine of them died um, in childbirth, but still growing up in a household full of 10 kids, you can imagine them fighting over their toys. Um, it was a poor household. Samuel's father was put in prison, in debtor's prison twice because he couldn't pay his debts. So John Wesley grew up experiencing poverty and want. John Wesley later went on to study and to lecture at Oxford University, and that just opened up the doors for his career and the expansion of his wealth, and at at first Wesley seemed to indulge all his desires and splurge his wealth. you You can imagine a kid growing up on the streets in poverty, coming into all of this money, and of course they're going to go out and splurge it on extravagant living. But an event happened in 1731 that radically altered John Wesley's perspective on his money. So Wesley was at Oxford, and he'd just gone out to buy some new artworks to decorate his, his room at Oxford when one of the chambermaids came to his door. and It was the middle of a British winter. It was a cold, freezing winter's day, and the girl only had a really thin shawl over her shoulders. Wesley reached into his pocket to give her some money to buy a new coat, And he found he didn't have any money left because he'd spent it all on artworks for his room. Immediately, he came under a strong conviction from the Spirit of God that the Lord would not be happy with how he had used his money. Wesley later wrote this. He asked himself, Will the Master say, Well done, good and faithful servant? No, you have adorned your walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. Oh, justice, oh, mercy. Are not these pictures the blood of that poor maid? This incident seemed to radically change Wesley's perspective on his money and his practices of budgeting and spending. He radically altered his lifestyle so that he limited his living expenses so that he could give the rest away. And these changes remained for the rest of his life. I wanted to show you John Wesley's budget. You can easily find this online, but it's remarkable seeing how he limits his living expenses to increase his generosity. So this should come up on the screen behind me. In the first year of this budget, his income was 30 pounds per year, 30 pounds a year. His living expenses were 28 pounds, and so he gave away 2 pounds. Now, if you're a student just starting off, Maybe this is an aspirational goal for your generosity. 7% of your income. You know, most of your income is going to be taken up on your living expenses, but maybe you can aim for 7%. The second year, his income doubled, 60 pounds. His living expenses remained at 28 pounds, but he increased his generosity to give 32 pounds. The third year, his income increased to 90 pounds. His living expenses remained at 28 pounds, so he gave the rest away, 62 pounds. In the fourth year, he earned 120 pounds. What were his living expenses? They remained at 28 pounds, and so he gave away 92 pounds a year. Much later in his life, he became a very popular preacher and writer. His books were enormously popular, and he became extremely wealthy through the royalties of his books. And yet his cost of living remains the same, but his generosity increased with his income. At this stage, he was earning well over 1,400 pounds a year. His living expenses increased slightly to 30 pounds, but he was giving away over 98% of his income. Wesley said this, "'What should rise is not the Christian standard of living, "'but the standard of giving.'" what should rise is not the Christian's standard of living, but his standard of giving. John Wesley's life was directed by the reality that he is a steward. The money is not his, it belongs to God. It had been entrusted to him by God to bless others. Wesley lived by the motto do all the good that you can, by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places that you can, at all the times you can, to all the people that you can. His vision was to share in God's expansive blessing to the world, to do all the good that he can. Wesley went on to teach about his three rules for the use of money, and his three rules were these, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So first, earn all you can. Wesley was not opposed to earning by any means. He was an extraordinarily successful writer and preacher, and he became extremely wealthy through his book royalties. John Wesley knew that the love of money was the root of all kind of of evil, but money itself was an extremely good gift from God. He wrote this, money is an Excellent gift, answering the noblest ends. In the hands of God's children, money is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, clothing for the naked, defence for the oppressed, health for the sick. And so Wesley said, gain all that you can by honest work. Use all possible diligence in your calling. Lose no time in silly distractions and do not, not put off until tomorrow what may be done today." Earn all that you can. Work hard. Now, we might say, Wesley, come on. You could have lightened up a bit. Learn to relax. Enjoy God's good gifts. Embrace Sabbath rest. Sure. But he understood that his life was under God's authority and direction. He was a steward. His time was not his own. It was the the Lord's and he was accountable to him. And so his advice to us is to work hard. Work diligently and earn as much as you can. But with that wealth, that wealth was directed by his second two principles. Save all that you can and give all that you can. So second, save all you can. Now by this, John Wesley doesn't mean what we might think of as savings. Like, you know, most of us, you know, we'll have our income and our set expenses and then we'll have a savings account where, you know, we might be saving up for a house deposit or a car or whatever and we're slowly accumulating over time so that we can make a big investment. That's not what John Wesley means by save all you can. What he's talking about is saving as in reducing your living expenses, living simply, minimizing your expenses so that you can enlarge your generosity. John Wesley actually describes idle expenses, what we might call discretionary spending or splurges, as the equivalent of throwing your money into the sea. You go and buy a new dress, throwing your money into the sea. Go out to a fancy restaurant, throwing your money into the sea. John Wesley was later in life investigated by the English Tax Commission in 1776, get this, because they couldn't believe that a man of his wealth had so few possessions. They said, surely he must have more silver dishes. Surely, John, a man of your wealth must have more silver dishes that you should be paying your tax on. And John Wesley said this, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the silver I have at present. I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. Wesley practiced radical simplicity, including fasting, so that he could use his extraordinary wealth to be generous to the poor. Now, let's be real. I think in contrast to Wesley, myself included, you know, we succumb to the subtle pressures of lifestyle creep. Who's heard of lifestyle creep? Lifestyle creep is this. As your income increases, so do your living expenses it just happens naturally over time your spending increases along with your income it happens slowly over an extended period of time and it's difficult to notice you know you get a bu- you get a raise so you buy a new dress you have that extra meal out maybe you can afford to buy a second car or buy a bigger house it can be a bit like the frog in the saucepan you know slowly the temperature is increasing but the frog never realizes that he is boiling to death. If the frog was to jump in at the end he'd realise it's much too hot but the slow gradual increase in temperature over time ends up killing him and in the same way for us lifestyle creep where our spending just continues to soar with our income it can sneak up with us without us even realising and so let me ask you church does your faith inform your spending Have you set a budget that limits and directs your spending and keeps you aligned with God's priorities of bringing His blessing to the world? Have you committed to reducing your expenses, to living simply within your means? Well, John Wesley, having gained all that he can, having saved all that he can, he now goes on to give all that he can. And didn't he give a lot? By the end of his life, he was giving away 98% of his annual income. When he died in 1791, the only money that was mentioned in John Wesley's will was a few small coins in the pocket of his coat. Most of the 30,000 pounds that he'd earned in his lifetime, he had given away. John Wesley was renowned for his generosity to the poor. He would regularly visit prisons. He founded charities and orphanages. He saw giving to the poor as an indispensable part of Christian discipleship. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus' parable of stewardship is followed immediately by the parable of the sheep and the goats. Those who are commended in both cases, I'm making a connection there, that the wise and good steward is actually the person who uses their wealth to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty to who cares for the sick, who invites in the stranger. Let me set this challenge before you. What if, in contrast to lifestyle creep, we practiced generosity creep? Whereas our income increases over time, maybe not at the same rate as Wesley, but our generosity is also increasing over time. where we commit to living simply, keeping our spending minimal, And as our income increases, our cost of living remains low, but our generosity enlarges. Why don't you make it your goal over the course of your life to increase the total amount and percentage of your generosity every year, year after year after year, so that you practice generosity creep? Let me put this challenge before you. Has your giving flatlined? You, you might have set up your giving 10 years ago, Incredi- you know, an incredibly generous amount, but since that 10 years ago, your giving has remained at the same rate, but your income has gone up. Has your giving flatlined? Maybe it's time for you to practice generosity creep. Now, you might not be as radical as John Wesley. I don't think any of us could be. You know, To be real, John Wesley was single for most of his life. He didn't have kids, and he had a lot of freedom to give all his money away, but maybe another approach could be for you to match your discretionary spending with your generosity. I heard a preacher say once that every time that they go out and splurge on something, it's fine to go and splurge on something, but they would aim to match that splurge with a gift. Yeah, we're going to go out for a nice fancy dinner. Great. We spent $200. All right, let's give $200 away to this, whatever. Great. We're going to go buy a new pair of shoes. Excellent. Same amount that we spend on the shoes, we're going to give that amount away. That might be a realistic way for you to practice generosity creep. Church, I hope that this example of John Wesley is inspiring for you. I know that sometimes it can be crushing to have this kind of hero of the faith kind of put before you. and I'm like, man, I could never do anything like that. Um, but I hope that it's an, a vision for you for what it looks like for you to live simply And use the wealth that God has given to you to bring His blessing to the world. We've seen that stewardship is that because God made everything, it all belongs to Him. Whatever you have has been entrusted to you to use to bring His blessing to the world. And so, stewardship begins with this question What's in your hands? What's in your hands? Take a stock take of what God has entrusted to you. Yes, your finances, but more than your finances. Your home, your car, your time, your relationships, your unique gifts, skills, and knowledge. What's in your hands? How can you use that, not to hang on to it, but to let God's blessings flow through your life to bless others? How can you use your life to do as much good to as many people as possible? Now, this is going to look different for every single one of us depending on our circumstances. Some of us are going to be able to give 98% of our income away. Wow, amazing. Some of us will be able to give just a little. What matters is not the amount, but the heart behind it, and that it's in line with our circumstances. I'm reminded of that, um, that encounter in the Gospels where Jesus commends the widow, the poor widow, for her gift. You know, he sees all these rich people come in, making extraordinary gifts, You know, the equivalent of CEOs and executives, making these huge financial gestures that are really just small change to them. But they think it looks impressive. And in contrast, the widow comes in and she gives in a pittance, a few coins. It's nothing. But Jesus says, truly I say to you, this widow, this widow has given more than all the others. Out of her poverty, she's given everything that she had to live on. Church, your money is not your own. It's not yours, it's his. All that you have has been given to you as a gift from God, even if you worked for it. You are a steward and you are accountable to God for how you use his gifts. I believe that if we as a church embrace this principle of financial stewardship, that it will revolutionize our finances, that it will release our generosity and that God will use us in an extraordinary way to bring his blessing to the world. Let's pray together. Father, we are reminded of the truth that we started with at the start of this series, that you are a generous God, that your heart, your posture is one of overflow. You have blessed us in abundance, and we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done for us, for all that you've given to us, for everything that's in our hands. And I pray now that, just like I prayed at the start, that we would have open hands. That we wouldn't try to hang on to our wealth and possessions for our own kingdom, but we would release our hands, open our hands, so that your blessings would flow through us, to bless others and to bring your blessing to the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name.